Well, how's everybody? Well, the musicians are sick, so I just got a text saying no music tonight, so you guys don't get to hear me sing either. So, tell you what, let's start with a word of prayer tonight. Thank you for coming. I hope your week's been good. Uh, the weather's been good. God's good. Oh, pollen's important. Just ask God. Pollen is important. I know it's terrible for you, but God has a bigger plan than just us. You know, so let's pray, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being our God who cares and who cares for us more than we can even comprehend. Uh, Lord, as we pause in the middle of this busy week, may we just become comfortable, sit down, and enjoy. Uh, eating of your word, listening to what your word wants to teach us tonight. And Father, as we focus on 3 John, may we, may we glean something that we've never gleaned before. And uh, Lord, I ask that it will do something that will stir us to do more for the kingdom and for this church. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. So if you've been around First Baptist um, for the last 10 years, you can remember when we were running eight, nine hundred in Sunday school, got at a thousand. Anybody know what Sunday school attendance was last week? What was it? 450, I think. Wow, that's kind of discouraging, isn't it? So we're going to talk about something tonight that I believe is important for the church to be reminded of. And it's an H word, but it's longer than a four-letter word. It's not hell. It's called hospitality. We're going to talk about hospitality tonight and how important that is. Um, for you see, I think something has happened. I, I, it's not just our church. Uh, I've talked to three churches here in town. I have relationships with people at other churches, believe that or not. Um, I've talked with churches in Kansas, and I get on this website called uh, Ministry Watch. And we are right in line with the rest of the churches across America. So don't blame the pastors. Don't blame the leaders. You know, don't come up with all these conspiracy series, theories of why we're, we are where we are. It's across our country. And it's the same percentage point, just given a few here or there. And the amazing thing is that every one of them, like ours, has done well financially in the midst of this storm called COVID. Now, since March of 2020, our church has been hindered with hospitality. You haven't had anybody over at your house in a long time. Hospitality is important. We're going to see that in 3 John um, tonight. And I want to tell you what my story back in November of 1992, when Michelle and I were 30 years old, we arrived at the old building down here, and uh, somebody invited us over for dinner. The first people to invite us over for dinner are now some of our best friends here in the church. Tom and Nancy Crow have the gift of hospitality. And so after church, now, what person decides to say, hey, we would love for you to come over with your five little kids for dinner? Well, they were crazy enough to do that, and uh, it made a big impression on us joining First Baptist Church. Hospitality is important. 
So uh, open your Bibles to 3 John. It's a big book. You don't want to know where to find 3 John. It's towards the end of the New Testament. I'll get all my notes out here because I, I, I really enjoyed studying this and looking at this. And I, I found several examples to kind of go along with it because there's only... Um, 14 verses, 14 or 15 verses. So I'm a real overachiever tonight, you know. But let's stand and read, if you can, if you're able. Let's stand and read from 3 John. We're just going to read it and then we'll dissect it, okay? The elder to my dear friend Gaius, who I love in the truth. Dear friend... I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may be well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell me about your faithfulness and to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you're faithful in what you're doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such men so that they may walk worthy, so that they may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephus, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, as you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I don't want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you, and the friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Heavenly Father, again, teach us from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. First thing I noticed when I looked at this, there was one word that was repeated more than any other. Did, did you notice as I read it what it was? You heard friend, okay? You're close, Josh. That friend's in there a lot. What's another word? I'll give you a hint. It starts with T. Look in verses... One. Then look in verse three. Two times. Look in verse four. Look in verse six. Look in verse eight. And look in verse uh, 12. And I probably missed some. So let's back up. First of all, this letter is written by who? John the Apostle. But who does he say he is here in verse 1? The elder. It was a name that not only he liked to call himself in his latter days, it's 
speculated, best that people can tell, that this book was written between 85 to 100 years A.D. So he's an older man. And he calls himself Elder. Peter calls himself the very same word. And uh, both of them chose in their latter days to be called elders of the church. And, and John was of the church at Ephesus. He says, the elder, saying who it's from. To who is it to? To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Now, we don't say that a lot. Adam, do I say I love you in the truth much? Have you heard that much? You probably need to. Because, see, if you could, I, I thought about having all kinds of fancy things up here tonight and, and things it just didn't work out that way. But if you drew a line of truth going vertically and drew a line or an arrow horizontally this way, had truth here and love here. Here's what happens. If people focus too much and only on the truth, they can become hard people. They can appear a hard person. Um, anybody ever seen Jack Nicholson in the movie A Few Good Men? What did he say? What's the line from A Few Good Men? You can't handle the truth. Hard, judgmental, truthful, but hard. A critic. Um, I wrote some other words down here. He was an antagonist. But if you go on the other line here, if a person only operates out of love, that's their dominant force. And you're one or the other. You, if, if you don't purposefully try, you're either going to speak out of truth or you're going to speak and act out of love. Okay? A person who loves and loves and just loves and just loves, they're enablers. A lot of times we enable things that, where truth needs to come in and, and help change some things. So the, the, the idea is to be a combination of both, to speak the truth in love. That is the goal of every Christian's conduct, is to speak the truth in love. And it's so evident here, he says, to the dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Now, we're going to look at four other scriptures, because I don't want you to think, well, this is Todd's opinion from reading Third John here in the very first verse. That's what he thinks. Now, look at John 1.14. Adam, would you look at John 1.14? Roy, I need you to look at Ephesians 4.15 and be ready to read it, please. Yeah, Ephesians 4.15. Who else would like to read one? I know who I can call out here without them back-talking me much, but anybody else want to read one? Okay, would you look up 1 John 3.18? Thank you. I need one more. Gerald? Okay, all right. I need somebody to look up 1 Peter 1.22. All right, 1 Peter 1.22. So I'll give you just a second to catch up. Well, we're talking about speaking and living the truth in love, okay? Remember, if you only focus on the truth, you can come across as a critical antagonist person. If you love and you don't ever speak truth into someone's life, you're just becoming an enabler. But when you combine the two and, and let the two melt and you're going... Instead of this way and this way, you're going this way, you build. You're getting somewhere to the right, but you're also getting somewhere towards the truth. So what does it say in John 1, 14, Adam? Uh, John 1, no, just John. The Gospel of John. Sorry. John 
1.14. Correct. I'll come back to you. Ephesians 4.15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ. To speak the truth in love. They allow people to grow up into all things. Yeah, what, what was the end of that? Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ. Excellent. What have you got, Adam? John 1, 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Okay, who's got uh, 1 John 3.18? Ready. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Very good. And the last one, 1 Peter, Gary, one twenty two. Love and truth must be in everything we do. Don't let one outweigh the other. Let those two work together, and here's what happens. Not only are you an enabler, but you're enabling in the right way. Number two, you become a developer. You're developing someone. You love them enough to tell them the truth of what's wrong or what they need to improve on so that they can develop into something, as Roy, you said, develop into Christ-like character. You can be a developer and also you become a discipler. You are discipling someone to turn around and love people in truth and allow those people to follow Christ's love, Christ's calling, Christ's commissioning in their life. So John was this type of fellow. And as we examine this tonight, there are some important characters in these 13 verses. There is John, the writer, the Apostle John, who is a person who is speaking the truth in love and has set an example, who is an elder in the church. Then we're going to look at Gaius, the encourager, in verses 2 through 8. Then we're going to look at Diotrephus in verses 9 and 10. And then we'll look at Demetrius in verse 12. Three did well. One was horrible. One missed the mark. And it's the one that shouldn't have been missing the mark. It's the one who knew better. And now, as I looked at this, I, I, I decided to look at Warren Wiersbe. If you ever want a great commentary that is in everyday language, that's good for the layman all the way up to the, the man with a, with a Ph.D., Warren Wearsby's book is, is a great book. And here's what he said about this letter. He says, this little letter is the shortest New Testament epistle in the original Greek, and it gives us a glimpse into the early assembly, its people, and its problems. Each Christian, he says, is a witness, either a good one or a bad one. We're either helping the truth or we're hindering it. And this letter is addressed to Gaius, one of the leaders of the assembly. But John also discusses two other men in these verses, Diotrephus and Demetrius. Wherever there are people, there are problems. And, and the potential for solving problems. I like his attitude. 
Each of us must honestly face the question, am I part of the problem or part of the answer? And so we're gonna look at these three examples tonight. So here we are. We're gonna look at Gaius the Encourager in verses two through eight. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. I have some news for you. Our pastor is getting well. We had got to talk to him today and he will be in the pulpit Sunday. So, which I am elated because I was on deck if he couldn't make it. And so I am absolutely elated that he's gonna be here Sunday and uh, pray for him. And we'll pray for him at the end of this service. But uh, I, I find it interesting as I studied this that he says, I pray that you may enjoy good health. Obviously John cares about Gaius. And he says, even as your soul is getting along well. There's one he don't know about, but there's no, there is another that he does know about. He's praying for that he's having good health and enjoying it. That it all may go well with you, even as your soul's getting well. Here's how he knows. Verse 3. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell me about your faithfulness to the truth. Word gets around in church. I don't know if you all know that or not. Word gets around in church. And I don't know whether it's, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. We're going to look at some of the bad stuff here that happens in word getting around in the church here in just a minute. But he says it gives him great joy to have some brothers come and tell him about his faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. How he walks in the truth. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Some believe that John led Gaius to the Lord, and that's why he calls him his children. If that's not the truth, then the other obvious is the truth as well. That as an elder, he was responsible for overseeing him and what he does in the church. But either way, he sees him as a child or a children or someone that he's responsible for to, to make sure he's cared for and is doing well. Now, verse five, dear friend, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers. Now, who's the brothers? The brothers are traveling missionaries. These are men who are going around totally dependent on the church to take care of their every need as they journey to go to city to city, church to church, and tell people about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Speaking in truth and love about their sin, speaking in truth about their sin, and speaking about the love and forgiveness and grace and mercy of Jesus. So here we are. I have no greater joy than to hear that my, my children are walking in the truth. How's he walking in it? Dear friend, you're faithful in what you're doing for these brothers, even though they're strangers to you. Tom and Nancy didn't know who Todd and Michelle and Josh and Corey and Katie and Chelsea were. They, they, she didn't know, they didn't know who they were. We were strangers to Tom and Nancy. Just the way Gaius was here. Even though they're strangers, they have told the church about your love. So the brothers reported back to the elder, hey, this church is a good church. And this man, Gaius, made, made our stay, made us everything we wanted to do very well. Appreciate him so much. You will do well to send them on their way in a worthy manner of God. 
It is for the sake of the name that they went out. For the sake of the name. Boy, that's a powerful statement. What are you doing personally yourselves for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ? What do you do? Well, we give. We give a tithe. That's, that's something that we do. What do you do besides coming to church on Sunday morning and Wednesday night? What are you doing for the sake of the name? That's a good question that you, only you can answer. But these boys are doing this. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. That means the government wasn't giving them a, a monthly check or a weekly check. They were relying totally on the church for their well-being. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men so that they may work together for the truth. It's, our, it's, it's, it's very important that we of this church support ministry. And I'm not just talking about the preachers and staff here. It is important that we support missionaries, and we do. It's important that we give a quarter of a million dollars every year to the cooperative program for Baptists around the world to send the largest mission organization of any Protestant denomination in the United States. I am so proud to be a Southern Baptist for that very reason alone. A lot of others, but that is an incredible thing that we do. We've taken the word of God here and said, we're going to do this. We're going to fund missionaries, strangers that we don't even know, and some that we do. Folks, I hope you know that the Lord smiles. You want to know why we got through COVID okay? The Lord smiled on our finances because of our obedience to strangers to take care of them. People that are out there on the front lines speaking the truth in love all over the world. So Gaius, <clears throat> I wrote down some things here. Gaius was an encourager. He had spiritual health. He had physical health. Has anyone been able to look at you and sum up your spiritual health and your physical health? It's all in your attitude. If your attitude's not good, your physical health's not going to be good. If your spiritual health is not good, sometimes it affects your physical health. But what? When you see a man or woman walking with purpose, serving in purpose, speaking the truth in love, it's an amazing magnet. People are attracted to people like that. And that's, that's what he was saying here about Gaius. He's, he says, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. How's your soul, folks? Is it getting along well? I pray it is. He had a good testimony. Look at verses 3 and 4. Look at it again. He had a great testimony from the brothers. He's an incredible encourager, enabler, and an, an enabler, and a, an investor, a developer, a discipler. But now we're going to get to a guy who didn't do, do so well. Diotrephus was a pastor more than likely. If he wasn't a pastor, he was certainly a church leader. Well, let's see what he did again. I wrote to the church, John says, 
but Diotrephus who loves to be first. Have you ever met anybody who loves to be first? Now, okay, I'm a competitive type person. I like to win. If it's shooting guns, I want to outshoot them. If it's, I'm terrible at basketball. You will never see me play basketball. I just am not a basketball player. Now, if it's volleyball, softball, football, I'll be right in and I love to win. Don't we, who, who loves to win in here? Who loves to lose? Okay, who likes to lose in here? That's not what he's saying here. Winning and losing. He's saying he loves to be first on the administration breakdown. He likes to be on the top level. He loves to be the top guy. Diotrephus, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. Ever seen somebody kind of lofty in their haughtiness that they don't want to uh, have nothing to do with those people beneath them or her? So if I come, <laughs> John says, I will call it to attention to what he's doing. This is an elder who has the authority to get in and shake up the house. He says, I will call attention to what he's doing, gossiping maliciously. If you want to see someone who isn't speaking the truth in love, listen to what they say. And there are malicious gossipers in the church today. And it's straight from the pit of hell. He's gossiping maliciously about us. About us meaning the leaders, about the brothers, about people who are trying to lead and do things for the kingdom. He's maliciously gossiping about us, not satisfied with that even. <laughs> we go deeper. He refuses to welcome the brothers. He has no hospitality. He refuses to bring somebody in that's going to take his place at the pulpit, that's going to take his place for even a little bit to speak the truth. Not satisfied with that, he will not welcome the brothers. And he also stops those who want to do so, who want to allow the brothers to come, and kicks them out of the church. Oh no, we would never see that. I hope we never do in this church. Dear friend, he says after this, don't imitate what is evil, but what is good. Basically, John is saying here that this pastor has not even seen God. There's pastors in churches in America today that I truly believe have never seen God. They've seen a lot of money. They've seen a lot of power. They've seen a lot of abilities and they, they must have went to all kinds of training to learn how to manipulate people, but they've never seen God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. So we have John who's done well, Gaius who's done well, Diotrephus who has absolutely failed, and then we get to Demetrius. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone. What an epitaph. If 
you get to the end of your life and you are well spoken of by everyone, you have done an incredible thing. Well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. There once was a man who was asked if he was a Christian. And the man responded this way. I can tell you anything about whether I'm a Christian. But here's the name, address, and phone number of my banker, my pastor, my community leader, and another leader in the church. Call them, and that will answer your question. See, it's one thing to say that I am a Christian. It's another for others to say that you are. Far different. Demetrius was well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. And we, meaning the elders, and we also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you. Now I'm going to get to today's time. This was written 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, he says, I have much to write to you, but I don't want to do so with pen and ink. He could have said, I have much to say to you, but I don't want to do it with pen and ink. We have a lot to say. And so we have Twitter. We have Facebook. We have Instagram. We have TikTok. And that's all I know. I know there's more than that. I know there's a whole lot more than that. And you can correct me and add to, I, I know. But we have become not only less hospitable because of COVID, we have become a weird society that doesn't even know how to sit down face to face and tell someone what they really truly believe and hold dear. We wanna speak our truth out for the whole world to see. And I want to give you some instruction. If you're emotional or mad, just get off of Facebook. You'll be sorry. Forever. <laughs> if you want to do something stupid, stay off of Facebook. You'll be sorry. Forever. But he says, I have much to write to you or to say to you. But I don't want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. And we will talk face to face. It's an art form that we've lost. I'm not saying you guys have. I don't think you're as tech savvy as this younger generation. I hope you're not. I, I fumble around and instant messenger and all that stuff. I, I think I've only done like 15 instant messengers and I don't know how to do I'm, I'm I'm illiterate at that. I much would rather talk to someone face to face. Uh, I get texts and I don't understand the intent sometimes. I don't, you know, the voice inflection's not there and you can take it totally the wrong way. You know, and, and can you imagine John getting ready to deal with Diotrephus on Facebook? Can you imagine for all the world to see you know, at the known world at that time, if they had that technology. 
and he starts laying into his malicious gossiping and all that. No, it won't work. It'll only make the situation worse. There's a time to talk face to face. And John was good at that. He had truth and love, used them both and got somewhere. The thing that we need to understand is we need to speak the truth in love to people and let God do his work in and through those people and through us. Secondly, we need to bring back the gift of hospitality in this church. So I read something here in a book. I have this book of just great little topics that has great instruction. It says, in an article entitled, Where Are the Visitors? Y'all wonder where the visitors are in the church? Where are the visitors? This guy, Lyle Shaler, I don't even know who he is. He said, the most influential question that can be asked of a first-time visitor is, would you like to come home with us for dinner? For those not interested in knocking on doors, anybody here not interested in knocking on doors? How many of you feel very uncomfortable about going and knocking on doors? Just come on, be honest. We're in church. How many of you feel uncomfortable about going and knocking on doors and talking to people about Jesus? Now, I know Gerald and Diane don't. They love it. They live for that. They get up every morning finding a way to do it. And we need people like you. But you're not normal. Okay? That's a God-given gift. Gerald, you didn't have that gift before you met Jesus. You didn't have it. It's a, it's a spiritual gift. Now, how many of you don't feel comfortable knocking on doors? Raise your hand again. Wait, you're a deacon. <laughs> Do you feel comfortable, Sid, knocking on doors? Oh, selling insurance. Yeah, everybody needs insurance, but not everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs insurance, but not everybody needs Jesus, right, Sid? <laughs> it's not fun. So get the point that he makes here. The most influential question can be asked of the first-time visitor is this. Would you like to come home with us for dinner? For those not interested in knocking on doors, Shaler notes, just open your own door. And I about dropped the book when I read that today. That is so simple and yet so true. If you're nervous about knocking on someone's door, just open your door. What happens when we open the door to our home? I, Andy Stanley, a guy that I've listened to for years, uh, he was a former youth pastor when I was a youth pastor. We're both old now. But he said the most important conversations start in, in, from the foyer and lead to the kitchen in a home. The more deeper, the more intimate the conversations are, less formal on the, in the foyer, out in front, outside the door. But as they move closer, when you get to the kitchen, that's when conversation really happens. Think about your own house. When you have your kids over, when you have your best friends over, where's the conversation always at? It's at the kitchen, over a meal. If there's anything I can encourage you as a church, if you really wanna grow our church, is bring back the gift of hospitality in your life and in your home. Invite someone over to break bread. Invite someone over to have a meal. All of the, all of the barriers, all the walls come crumbling down over buttered biscuits.
I'm telling you. And I'd like to be invited to your house once in a while. It's been a long time since anybody's asked me over to your house. And I don't have five kids anymore. And my wife don't eat much. <laughs> so, with that, I had some other things written down here I wanted to just lay out to you. Um, Demetrius was well spoken of by all. Everyone said he was faithful, that he was a close and godly friend, and the truth spoke for him. Just like that man of the story I told you. I know I've been, I've, someone told me this a long time ago and I never forgot it. He said, be an original, don't be a copy of someone else. Be an original, not a copy of someone else. But I will tell you this, there are some attributes that we need to learn from Demetrius and Gaius and John tonight. There are some things that we need to do to copy what they did. When we do that, we'll be successful. But when you add your own fearfully and wonderfully made personhood that God created in every single one of you, and you take the attributes of Jesus and let it work through you and allow the Holy Spirit to use what he's created, it's amazing what can happen. I wrote this down as a pencil as I prayed about it, and I, I don't know whether it's good for you tonight or not, but live a life of truth and your legacy will take care of itself. Live a life of truth and your legacy will take care of itself. And uh, there was a bumper sticker that I remember. Live so that the preacher won't have to lie at your funeral. Live so the preacher won't have to lie at your funeral. I'm not going to lie for you. I'm not going to lie for Jesus either. I'm just going to tell the truth. I'm going to speak the truth in love. Here's what um, Billy Graham said. Billy Graham's one of my heroes, one of my true heroes in life. I was instantly for him when my father was against him. I was a teenager and whatever my parents didn't like, well, I probably ought to like them. Dad used to cuss at the TV screen when Billy Graham came on NBC because it messed up the night schedule. And I said, what is it about this guy that he's getting on TV? What, what is it about him? Well, I began to listen to Billy Graham before I was ever saved. And I found one of the quotes. It took me a while to find it, but I remembered what he said. And I wanted to get it right. He said, the highest form of worship is selfless service to others. The highest form of worship. Now, we worship in here every Sunday, right? Right? We worship every Sunday. We should. We worship in here. Billy Graham says the highest, said, the highest form of worship is selfless service to others. What are you doing for others? We're Americans. We have a problem with selfless service. We like service. We like fast service. We tip according to service. We get in line and I went to lunch today. Taco Bell, they can't find enough workers. There's no in-store dining. So it was backed out and I took a real gamble turning left in there and half the car was on, what is that, Mathis Drive? Is that what it's, Hamburger Row is called? Is, that, is it Mathis, is that right? Do you, you guys are like me, you don't even know the name of the streets around. You just know where Hamburger Row is. 
I think it's Mathis Drive. Would somebody please look on their smartphone? Yes, okay, it's Mathis Drive. Half my truck is hanging out on Mathis Drive, praying that that guy got his food and didn't pay in cash, so we didn't have to give him cash, but so we could get in there. But I was aggravated at the service because it wasn't fast enough. Boy, we can get into this world of expect expectations, false expectations of being served when the highest form of worship is selfless service to others. Well, I forgot one thing. Here's what Warren Wiersbe says about preachers. This is a man I trust deeply. During my many years of ministry, he says, I have seen the model for ministry change and the church is suffering because of it. It appears that the successful minister today is more like a Madison Avenue tycoon than a submissive servant. In his hand, he holds a wireless telephone, not a towel. And in his heart is selfish ambition. I preached a little bit about ambition two weeks ago. In his hand, he holds a wireless telephone, not a towel. And in his heart is selfish ambition, not a love for lost souls or for God's sheep. This man was motivated by pride. Instead of giving the preeminence of Jesus Christ, he claimed it for himself. He had the final say-so about everything in the church, and his decisions were determined by one thing. What will this do for me? He was most unlike John the Baptist, who said, He must increase, but I must decrease. The Greek verb indicates that it was the constant attitude of Diotrephus to promote himself. I don't want to ever be accused of promoting myself over Jesus. And neither should you. What I learned from this as I looked at it, that three-fourths of the church is good. Three out of four people are trying to get the right thing done. I hope that's true. I hope that's true in First Baptist Dixon. And I think there's times when church discipline is necessary. And I pray that our leaders are strong enough to do it when it needs to happen. I hope that we never have to do it. But if we do, we're willing. The Bible teaches us how to do it. But if we want to go from 470 in Sunday school back to eight or 900, we're fighting a losing battle. I don't know if you know that or not. The days are getting harder. The ground is getting harder. And Satan is having a field day with the church. And it's time to up our game. It's time to begin to invite people to your home and speak the truth and love to one another. And it's time to get our attitudes and our reputations right. 
The Bible says judgment begins at the house of God. I know what I got to work on. And I hope you're praying what the Holy Spirit is trying to get in touch with you about. What chinks in your armor are there? What is it you need to do to be an effective disciple and fully devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? What's it going to take? What do you have to let go of? What do you have to change to do that? I'm a, a hot mess. I'm a work in progress. I've been for 40 plus years now. And I sure don't want to let the Lord down. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our, our desire, we wouldn't be here on Wednesday night if we didn't care. So Lord, I pray that you'll take this group of committed followers here tonight and that you will rekindle flames, that you'll snuff out fires that need to be put out, temptation that needs to be let go of, and selfishness and ambi selfish ambition that needs to be gotten rid of so that we can do what you called us to do. Lord, may we be like John, who spoke the truth in love. May we be like Gaius, who had a reputation and did the right thing, even though the leader, he was in the middle of a bad leader. Demetrius, who had a reputation around the whole community, that the truth went before him. And Father, help us to take care of people who are leading in the wrong direction. And Father, use this church for your glory. May this church be a welcoming place for the visitors who come here. May this church be a welcome place for the missionaries who come who need a time of rest or a time to speak. Father, help us to be sensitive when someone needs to come and deliver a message that we need to hear. May we be found faithful. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. So we got 12 minutes left. It's time to pray. Um, I would really encourage you to pray for Pastor Mike. We're going to pray for Pastor Mike tonight. He's going to be up here Sunday. And I'm going to ask you to pray that God will give him strength and that he'll make it through both sermons. Uh, pray for his healing, that he can continue to heal. And I want us to pray for the rest of the sick in our church beyond our pastor. Also, I wrote down, I want someone else to lead us in praying for our church. I really believe we're at a crossroads. God is at work. Two weeks ago, I taught you that God is always at work around you. God's doing a work here at First Baptist and desires to do a work. So I need someone to pray for our church. And the last thing, you think I'm going to give up on this? You're crazy. Our country is about to divide over an A word, abortion. And I found something that I want to share with you about. If you kill a preborn sea turtle, it's a $100,000 fine and one year in prison. 
If you kill a preborn bald eagle, it's a $250,000 fine and two years in prison. If you kill a preborn human being, there's no penalty. How crazy is this? How crazy is this? And for those of you, if you've had an abortion, it's not that I'm judging you. I am judging the people who make the rules. And the people make the rules. I understand the church has to respond. If we're going to stand here and preach from the mountaintops that abortion is wrong, then the church better be ready to adopt. The church better be ready to become foster parents. The church better be ready to fund people who can't afford to raise this child. But this is crazy. And not trying to get political in, in, in God's house, but trying to change a law and make it even worse than it is today is crazy. Can be aborted up to the day of birth, no consequences. Church, wake up. We need to pray that our leaders will make the right decision. Our Supreme Court is going to deliver its decision any day. And I'm telling you, it's possible that we will have people protesting outside our doors. You may think I'm crazy, but I don't think I am. So we're going to pray for Pastor Mike and the sick in our church. We're going to pray for our church. And we're going to pray for our nation as we decide what we're going to do with human life. It's pretty easy to make a decision about a turtle or an eagle. But we can't make a right decision about a human life. Who'd like to pray for our pastor and our sick in our church? Roy, thank you. Who'd like to pray for our church? Don't make me sign you. Who'd like to pray for our church? Thanks, Neil. Who'd like to pray for abortion in our country as we make this decision? Okay. Let's pray. Let's pray for a pastor first and the, and the sick in our church.